I'm Karen. And I'm Michelle. We're sisters. And homeschool moms. Welcome to the Layers of Learning podcast. Where we talk about family style homeschooling. Hi, welcome to the podcast. I'm Karen. And I'm Michelle. And today we want to talk to you about learning challenges. Tons of kids have some difficulty in learning. In fact, I think most kids have some difficulty somewhere. And at the same time, they all have really strong strengths somewhere else. Right. We're not all going to be good at everything. Yeah. And we're not all going to be bad at everything either. You have to kind of recognize people have different talents and they're in different areas. And I feel like our culture in the West, at least in the United States, has been going hardcore at labeling people with learning disabilities when maybe they actually just have talents in one area and not in another. Yeah, within the school system, there's funding, there's extra help, all of that is tied to those labels. And so it's kind of become the way that our education system has turned is if we can label what's wrong with these kids, then we can help them. And they get more funding for it. Right. (laughs) So it's become an industry. They have access to more resources once they're labeled. But that's one of the beauties of homeschooling is that we can recognize where a kid struggles or where their strong suits are, and we don't have to make a huge deal out of it. We can relax and learn together happily just the same. So Michelle, Several of your kids have had learning disabilities. Can you talk to us about that a little bit? Yeah. I, my kids are dyslexic. Four of my six boys are dyslexic. And that, to me, that just means their brains are not wired for language. Instead, they're wired for hands-on things. That's what I've observed in my children. This is not scientific. I am not saying that this is researched. It's just what I have observed in my own children in my home is that, Yeah, they struggle. It took them longer to learn to read than it took my two who are not dyslexic or than it took me. I mean, I was four years old when I learned to read. And to me, language is like, it's my thing. Reading and writing comes naturally. It's easy for me. But I watched my kids who didn't learn to read fluently until they were 12 or 13. And those same children were building things out of cardboard or wood or doing things with their hands that I still cannot do because I haven't put in the effort, but also because it's not my natural bent. I'm not good at that. If our schools were geared towards hands-on learning and like if they were geared towards technical type stuff, like where you have to do things hands-on, I would be the one labeled with a learning disability because that's not, that is the opposite of my strengths. Yeah. If you tried to get you and I to build something or fix a car or anything like that oh boy we'd be in trouble yeah and and I feel like that's why my kids are labeled learning disabled because it's not or why they're labeled with dyslexia because language is not where their talents lie their brains are wired in the opposite direction they have engineering minds they have engineering minds yeah I've I've watched your kids and they are incredibly smart well-spoken curious amazing they just struggled with reading and writing. Right. My youngest son had the hardest time reading out of all of my kids. And he's doing a ton better. But honestly, if you compared him with other 11-year-olds, he's probably, most schools would say that he struggles. But he is celebrating this year because he has come so far because he's really, really starting to get it. But then you go, yeah, he's 11. He's not six. Mm-hmm. Um, 
And he's not reading at the level of a six-year-old, but he's also probably not reading at the standard level of an 11-year-old. But I don't know. I don't well, know that I, standard matters. I, I don't think it does matter. I, I watched my kids who struggled with reading, and every single one of them by the time they were 12 were reading. And they quickly caught up with other kids. Now, they will never be super fast readers. It takes them, you know, they have to read a little bit more slowly and look at the words more carefully in order to make sure that they're reading the right words. But but even my my third son is dyslexic, and he's in college now, and he reads all the time. About three-quarters of what he reads is actually audiobooks, but in my house, we just call that reading. Did you read this book? And it was an audiobook. I mean, we, we use the same language we would use if it were on the printed page. Right. When we discuss books. So, Michelle, one of the things that amazes me about your kids, I mean, I watched you homeschool through the years when you, you know, you said four of your six boys were dyslexic. That's yeah. a hard. Well, it's it's hard to have, you know, four, three or four non-readers at the same time because you have to help them with every single thing that you're doing. And that's part of the reason we've gone more and more and more to family school. And the more we've gone to family school, the more I've liked it. And I would do it even if I had all readers now, you know? Yeah. Because I love it. You found the good in it. Oh, yeah. But the thing that amazed me when I was watching your boys growing up is they struggled with reading, but they loved reading. So I want you to tell me, how did you do that? (laughs) I I think there were several things I did. The very first thing is that I love reading. And the only thing that I collect are books. I don't I don't collect any other items. I but I love books. And my husband's job is to keep building me bookshelves. Like Wait a minute. Like... You collect boys. <laughs> okay, I I collect boys. <laughs> kids kids and books, that's what I collect. <laughs> so, yeah, so our house is full of books. We have books in every room. The kids get books for birthdays, they get books for Christmas, and that sets the tone for books are important, right? I mean, if they're around you, if you value them, then we have, we spend a lot more time with books than we do with the TV. Yeah. And I remember even like when we were at family reunions, when it was time to put your kids to bed, you would always go downstairs and read to them. Even when you were like, I mean, we were on vacation essentially, and you would read to them every single night, no matter what. And oh, that yeah. always really impressed me. Like they didn't want to miss their chapter of Harry Potter. No, they love it. And and the, I still read to them. My youngest is 13. And five of the kids are still living at home. Two of them are adults, but, you know, they're young adults and they're working and living at home. And so the most of them will sit there and listen to whatever book I'm reading aloud, even though they are old. I mean, they can read on their own. Every single one of them can read on their own, but they love listening to the read aloud. And I read every day. Right now we're reading My Side of the Mountain. I love it. Oh, that's a great book. Yeah. If you haven't read My Side of the Mountain by Jean Craighead George with your kids, put it on your list because it's a great book. I think that's part of it is that because you love reading so much and you have for your whole life, you found books that you love and you've shared awesome books with your kids. And so they kind of fall in love with the stories and the characters beyond just the challenge of reading. Yeah. So I, I think, I think having books in your home and being a reader yourself makes a big difference. Your kids should watch you read, you know, and, and then also reading is stories. And so I have always read to my kids and I've never worried about that. They couldn't read. I didn't, didn't matter how old they were. If they're eight and they're not reading, so what? They're still enjoying books. You know, they're, they're being read to constantly and they are being absorbed in stories. They love stories. They love 
even the the nonfiction books. My kids love nonfiction books. We listen to them. We read them together. Okay, so speaking of nonfiction, how do you apply that to your actual homeschool day? When you've got these kids that you're teaching that are all having struggles, what do you do differently? How do you help them during homeschool? We have encyclopedias that we read aloud together, like a history encyclopedia, and we'll read the double-page spread about, I don't know, we, we just did Captain Cook and the exploration of the South Seas. So we read that aloud together. And then I also take either picture books or parts of larger nonfiction books and read it aloud to the kids. So when we're doing homeschool together, you can assign your kids individually, go off and read this book, or you can sit there and read it together, or you can do a combination of those things. I end up reading most things together with my kids. That way we're all on the same page. Everybody's getting the same information. We have a discussion about it together and we can then go forward on the project that we're working on. And then for reading that my kids do on their own, I'm kind of a radical <laughs> when it comes to that, just because I don't assign anything with the reading. In fact, I don't even assign the reading. I just tell them, you've got 30 minutes, go read a book. You can read whatever you want. If they need help choosing a book, I help them choose it. I keep a basket of books that we've gotten from the library and they can select out of that or they can pick something off of our shelves. There is completely free and I never ever do comprehension questions. I never test or quiz on it. The point for me was just to get them to love to read and to love to learn. And if you do too much overkill, it can destroy that. Too many assignments, too many comprehension questions. It becomes an assignment instead of loving to read. And so my kids love to read. You know, that's interesting because I was a reader. We were both readers as we were growing up. We yeah. loved books. Yeah. But every single book that I was assigned in school, I kind of hated like, I didn't fall in love with the books yeah. that I was assigned were, and quizzed on. There were on. only a couple that I remember that I ended up loving. Well, several of them I've read again as an adult, and I'm like, I love this book. It was just because it was assigned and I had a quiz and due dates and all of that that I hated it. Yeah, I, I feel like if you're told you have to read three chapters by Friday, it turns it into a chore, right? But if you can just read, I mean, my, my kids are like oh no, the 30 minutes is up or the 40 minutes is up. We do, we're not done reading. And they'll go back to the book again after school or during lunch. And I don't think kids who are given assignments do that very often. Yeah. You just make it part of life instead of homework. Yeah. And with my younger ones that aren't reading on their own, I will read with them during the reading time so that they get practice actually reading. Like if I'm sitting there with them, I can help them with the words they don't know. or I can help them sound things out or... I will read a page and then they will read a page. We do that kind of thing a lot. Yeah, I noticed when my youngest was struggling with reading, the key for him was that I was right there. With the ones who read easily, I kind of could tell them to go off and read. But he needed me to be right there, helping him if he struggled, to know that I had his back. It was partly just his confidence that was lacking. And so he just needed me yeah. right by his side. Yeah. And if you have more than one that is in that place, it can be tough. I usually would read with one and then later read with another one. Like I just would set it aside. Okay. 30 minutes, you get 30 minutes undivided attention from me. I mean, there might be a baby on my lap, but <laughs> otherwise, you know, it was <laughs> sort of undivided as undivided as you can be when you're a homeschool yeah, mom. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but, but it was, you know, they would get attention, and then later in the day, the other one would get the attention. Yeah. I, I think sometimes kids need that 
one-on-one. They need to know, okay, mom's here for me. I've got, I've got this because she's got my back kind of a thing. Yeah. So all, all of my kids are readers and some of them it took until they were 12 or 13 before they started picking up books on their own to read just on their own. But they all listen to audiobooks. They all love the library. They all love hearing stories be read aloud. You know, they, I consider all of my children readers, and that includes the dyslexic ones. My my third one, he's in college, and he's constantly talking about, Mom, these kids have never read this. They've never read that, you know, his, his yeah. fellow students. And he's like, I can't believe that they don't know this Shakespeare play or, you know, and, and it's funny because I'm like, if you were in school, you would have been labeled learning disabled. You would have been put in the special class. You would have had nothing but phonics for years and years and years. Nothing interesting. You would have hated reading. You would have been your enemy. But he loves books. But instead he loves books. And, and that's, I think, the power of letting kids take time and the power of freedom to read instead of constant assignments and I know I know that that's kind of a radical idea for American education right now maybe maybe all through the west to not have comprehension questions or not have assignments where you have to get so many chapters done each day that's just kind of how our system that's is different that's how the system is everything has to be tested recorded analyzed graded I don't grade my kids reading I don't grade that they just read. I don't grade it, but I do have my kids keep like a reading log of all of the books they've finished. Cause we like to see like, look at all the books we read this year. Yeah. You know, it's not graded, but it's a cool yeah. record. Yeah. Some, yeah. some kid asked my son, how many books have you read? He goes thousands. I don't know. <laughs> and they were like, what? You can't have read that many, you know, cause they can count on two hands, all the books they've read. And, <laughs> and he's like, no, I've read thousands. <laughs> he he reads three or four books every week. Okay. And so he's dyslexic, you know? It, so that's, that's what I'm curious about. Like, did you use anything along the way that the schools would have used? Like any programs, any resources, no. anything like that? <laughs> no, nothing. You never did? Nothing. And I haven't even read up on dyslexia all that much to tell the truth. Because I, I tell my kids, hey, you're dyslexic and that means this and this and this. You know, it's, it's going to be harder for you to, to read. You're going to be a little bit slower at it. You definitely need someone to edit your anything important before you send it to someone. So I, I tell my kids, look, before you send an email to that person that you're hoping to get a job from, have me read it because they can't spell and their spelling is so bad we work on spelling, but still their spelling is so bad that the spell checker doesn't know what they were going for. And so they need a human to go in and read it. And then, you know, they struggle with things like grammar and where to put in the periods. And, and that's, I think that's normal for someone who doesn't have a language brain, but they just need an editor. It's not that hard. Just go ask someone to read it before you send it, you know, or before you turn the paper and make sure that you've used the grammar checker, you've used the spell checker and you've had a, a human who is good at language, read it through for you. Just to check for those things. In the same way that you would have a human who's good at, you know, mechanics do that part for you or good at engineering do that part for you. you right. I, I don't ever, ever work on the engine of my car and I never, ever should. <laughs> <laughs> you need a human. I need a human who's good at that. <laughs> yeah. Well, along the way, I've, 
looked at a few different programs that focus on like dyslexia and different learning disabilities. I think that they probably have some good ideas. Yeah, there are I'm probably not, some great resources. I'm not saying they don't work. But at the same time, I've never seen anything that's like a miracle that changes someone who's dyslexic into not dyslexic. Yeah. I think for the most part, it is plugging away at things a little bit at a time. That's one thing that I've had to do with my kids whenever they're struggling with any part of our learning, you know, any kind of learning disability or just something that they're not getting or struggling with. I've noticed that if I put it in shorter doses, smaller little bits at a time where they don't get frustrated and they don't get overwhelmed, they can tackle it a lot more easily. So, I mean, you said you don't really time your kids with reading and they want to keep going, but like when my Jason was just learning to read and he really got frustrated and really struggled a lot, instead of having him read for 30 minutes, I'd have him read for 15 minutes in the morning and then 15 minutes later because he could do that. It breaks it up and it makes it more manageable. Yeah. So because after you reach a certain point with the frustration and the difficulty, you just you're no longer able to even cope. You shut down. Yeah. And and I think we all do that with something that we're struggling with. If you hit the wall of struggle where you're just like, I can't do it. Once you're telling yourself that, then you really can't that, do it. That's how I feel about sewing. <laughs> I hit a sewing <laughs> wall too sometimes. That's when we call mom. So, no, for <laughs> real. Like I feel like anything that's hands on sewing even gardening, like things, anything that is, I am such a language brain that all that other stuff is really, really hard for me. Like I actually have problems with, um, coordination and I'm an athlete, so I can do gross motor stuff, but fine motor control. I'm terrible. I can't untie knots. I cut myself with my kitchen knives all the time. (laughs) That's so funny because it just occurred to me that like you never, ever, would have been labeled learning disabled in school. No. And yet you didn't do really well in pottery class. No, I actually, the only C I ever got through school, through all my school years was pottery. (laughs) I could not make a pot. And I'm not saying that like I didn't try or I didn't want to. I literally could not make a pot that wouldn't just crumble and fall apart. I couldn't do it. But you didn't have an IEP and they didn't say you were learning disabled and they didn't give you any kind of label. No, because that's not the direction that our education system focuses on. It's not one of their school skill focuses. Yeah. I mean, 200 years ago when everyone was a farmer, I would have been useless. (laughs) (laughs) You would have starved. (laughs) So, you know, but, but I, I, I married a man who has that spatial physical capabilities like that's his strength he has an engineering brain too he has an engineering brain too yeah he can take apart any machine and then put it back together without anybody training him or teaching him and he just knows how it works and I'm like okay and my kids are that way so how has it been in your family with math do do they have math is interesting so so there are some struggles I mean my dyslexic kids will sometimes reverse numbers and, and I just, but that's not the same as having conceptual problems. I have noticed that once we hit algebra, we often have some conceptual difficulties. And if I'm noticing my child isn't understanding how the letters work in algebra or how you can manipulate the problems, my solution has been to slow down, slow down, slow down, have, have them redo the program again in a different format with a different book. Like, so we'll do Saxon algebra. And then they struggle. And so I switched to a different algebra program 
for the next year. So we do it twice. So we slow down, we slow down, we slow down. Because I think that mostly it's a lack of maturity in the brain. It, your brain matures just like your body matures. And often if you're having math concept difficulties, then it's because your brain hasn't matured enough. You can't understand them yet. They're not physically capable. So you just give it another run through and let them yeah. grow and mature into it. Has that worked? Yeah. I feel like if you can get your kids through Algebra 1 by the time they graduate high school, that's all that they need for college unless they are going to go into a mathematical or a scientific field. But people who are going to go into those fields are usually better at the math kind of stuff anyway. You know, my, my yeah. kids are definitely hands-on kind of kids. I have one who, he wants to be a mechanic um, working on cars. Another one who wants to be a welder. He actually wants to be an underwater welder. And we have mapped out his education plan for that. <laughs> and and then I have one who's doing outdoor, um, like he's he's going to be a guide. He's going to be an outdoor guide. So he's been, he's this is his second year to be a rafting guide. And he's learning mountaineering and he's doing that in college. Like our, our junior college, our community college around here has a program for that. And he's doing that. He's going to complete his two years and then he's not going to go to any more school after that. At least not right now. He wants to be a guide and be, a, be sponsored by outdoor clothing companies to use their equipment. And then eventually he wants to run his own guiding company. That's what he's going to do. So I don't have kids that are interested in being in the sciences or mathematics or that kind of stuff. They're not going to be university professors. They're not going to be doctors or lawyers. That's fine. They're going to be happy because yeah. we have helped them find where their real skills are and not just shove them into something we think is a better plan for your future, you know. See, my daughter's in an interesting spot right now because she's very much like you and I, like language-based. Reading and writing come super easily to her. Yeah. And, and she's... She's a senior in high school, but in college right now. She did dual enrollment during high school, so she's ending high school with college credit, you know. But anyway, she's been really struggling because she's very much a language-based person, but her dream is to go into dentistry. And the actual job of a dentist isn't super mathematical or scientific but the classes the education is are mm -hmm. so she's having to do tons of advanced math and science classes which she does not love but she's doing really well she has straight A's she's doing great at it I don't know I think that the things that we struggle at we can accomplish if we get determined especially enough. if you have a goal yes yeah. I watched that with my husband he struggled throughout his educational years growing up, he was the kid who hated school, you know, did not like it at all. But when he decided to become a pilot and then started to go to college with that goal, it totally changed everything for him, just having the goal. And he was able to do it. He did horribly throughout his young years, but then in college, he totally excelled and was like top of his class type of stuff because he was really, really invested in it. Yeah. So I, I think even people, and he had learning disabilities, even people with learning disabilities and the school subjects, you know, those standard things, when they decide they want to do something, it makes it possible because they're willing to do all of the extra work that it takes them. I mean, it's not hard for you and I to get an A. No. School is kind of my skill set. Yeah. But <laughs> I'm actually super impressed by the people who are working 10 times harder at it. Yeah. I mean, if 
if it's it's be like me going and changing the oil in my car. I mean, I really no, I'm not going to do that. But but I <laughs> see we live in a world where I don't have to do that. But these people who are really really good at hands-on stuff, we live in a world where they do have to communicate through written language. They really do. And so, you that's, know, they're forced to That's what impresses me though, Michelle. You talk about your boys and their career paths and their their dreams and it's it's basically the things that they're most talented at and that they most love. And I'm so happy that's what they're doing. But the thing that amazes me is I know your boys. I mean, they're my nephews. Yeah. <laughs> and they are all so bright, so well read. Oh, yeah. They so are. good at communicating. You wouldn't know that they have learning disabilities or that they've ever struggled when you talk to them. So it just impresses me that, I don't know. They grew well past their limitations. They exceeded all expectations in my book. I don't know. Yeah, I feel like that's because, partly because they were never made to feel stupid. And I, I feel like school, unintentionally, and maybe it's just because of there's all the peers around them, but school tends to make kids feel stupid if they have any kind of struggle at all. And And the truth is, you're not stupid because you struggle. That doesn't make sense, right? I mean, that doesn't even make sense. Don't we all struggle somewhere? Does that make you stupid? No, it just means that that's maybe not your talent area and you should you know, focus your life somewhere else, but you still have to sometimes do some of the things you struggle at. That's the thing. Like your boys probably worked triple what you and I ever had to do in school or maybe more. Well, they I don't know because they're homeschooled. <laughs> well, <laughs> but I watched them. Like, like, for example, if you read a book or one of your boys reads a book, they're working way harder at reading that book. Yes, that's true. Than you are. You both accomplish the same thing at the end, but in a way, it's kind of more impressive that they did it. I, I have let them take time. I My fourth son is a junior right now in high school, so he's, he's 17. And he's working on second year algebra so it's it's saxon math so it's algebra 2 which is it's combined with trigonometry and some pre-calculus type information along with some geometry it's It's, the most advanced high schoolers usually get in math yeah some of them go into calculus but this is this is an, an advanced math class for high school and i'm having him do the practice problems which is the lesson problems the abc problems at the beginning of the lesson Mm -hmm. he has to do all of those and then i told him i want you to just pick two or three problems from the lesson and and i'm letting him choose i said i want you to choose things that you're not sure about or that you struggle a little bit with or that you just want extra practice on you need the review yeah and but the reason i'm giving him so few problems he ends up doing five or six problems in a lesson but it takes him over an hour usually He's really slow, he's really methodical, but he has time and he gets them all right. And if he does miss one, I say, nope, this one is wrong, go back and figure out why. And I make him do the mental effort to figure out what went wrong. Sometimes I'll give him a hint if he's confused or can't figure it out. Point him in the right direction. Or I'll even give him the answer and say, this is the right answer, figure out why, you know, how do you get to this answer? So I will give him some little hints and helps, but I make him do the mental effort of figuring out what went wrong. But I let him have as long as he needs to do those few problems. But I don't give him more problems than that because I don't have that kind of time, you know. <laughs> yeah. And you find that he comes to understanding. Yeah, and I don't that? care I don't care if it takes him two years to get through what is supposed to be a one year math course. That doesn't matter. 
He's going to be a welder. He doesn't need advanced math. He's doing it. He's doing it to keep mentally strong, to to grow his me- mental math muscles, to get you know to work on that part of his brain. But he's not going to be an engineer. You know, he's not going to be building bridges. I kind of like the idea that we have to get to a point in our education where we are capable of doing the things we need to do in life. Like, for example, if a dyslexic kid, if you go, oh, you really struggle with reading, so you don't need to read. That's not going to be enough to get through the life that we have. And I love that your kids, they may not, I don't even want to say they may not ever love reading because I think they actually do love reading. reading. (laughs) But they may not ever love the actual task of reading, but they love books. They love stories. They got to that point where they discovered the life and even the struggle that they have. You know, they're hard things. They're still capable of doing. And I like that you kind of let it relax and let it come to them as they were ready for it instead of expecting first grade, second grade, third grade, or eight years old, you should do this. Nine years old, you should do this. I, I, I think I stopped paying any attention to those standards when my oldest son was in about fifth or sixth grade. I suddenly, well, and your oldest son didn't really struggle. No, he, he doesn't have any learning disabilities. He's, he learned to read quickly and easily almost on his own. You know, I had taught him the ABCs, and then he just picked it up so fast. And, I remember when and he math learned to read. was always pretty easy for him. Y- you felt like, wait a second, you're reading, and I didn't teach you yet. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Yeah. I remember us talking <laughs> yeah. about that yeah. when he was little. It was amazing to yeah. watch him to teach himself to read. Yeah, it was easy for him. But I remember watching my kids. It was at a church thing, and the children were supposed to be presenting a song, right? And And my two oldest were about five and four or maybe four and three, they were young. And they were trying to, the adults were trying to get the kids to sit in seats. Well, my oldest son was sitting there quietly in his seat with his hands in his lap, ready to sing the song, paying attention. And my younger one, who was about three at the time, or maybe four, I can't remember exactly how old, but he was up and down on the on the seat, standing up, sitting down. And then he'd get off the seat and he'd run around the stage area. And then they, someone would corral him back in a seat and three seconds later he was up and down. And I was sitting there watching that and I was going but it's easy for Nathan. That's not a struggle for him. No big deal. It was easy for him to sit still and quietly in his seat. Yeah. But for Tim to even sit there for 30 seconds was this Im- immense struggle. And I think that that's true of many of the things that we watch our kids struggle with. Like it's easy for that one, but that's the one we give praise to. So that's my question though. If it's hard for Tim to sit still, then do you take the approach as a homeschool mom that I'm going to teach him to sit still? Or do you take the approach that we better wiggle when we learn then? What did you do? I think a combination. I mean, there are places and times when you need to sit still, when you have to behave yourself. So I guess you pick your battles. I did teach my kids to sit still in church. Not that day on that stage with the chaos that was happening with all the the (laughs) children. But, but, you know, when we were sitting in, in a pew... As a family, my kids sat still. The only entertainment I let them have was a pencil and a piece of paper. I, I didn't bring toys or snacks to church. And they would sit through the hour-long meeting. So little by little, you just had that expectation. Sometimes and they some, learn. Sometimes we would go home from church, and if they struggled that day, we would practice sitting on the couch. And it'd be like, 
you have to sit here for 30 seconds. You know, it'd be short, but this is how I want you to sit. It was just practice, like teaching them. This is how you sit. And uh, you know, they have to have good manners. You're not allowed to scream and yell through the middle of the history lesson when everyone else is trying to learn or run around the room, Mm -hmm. you know, but I also have made an effort to have interesting lessons. And Tim, my one who wouldn't sit still also can sit still for hours and hours and hours if he's reading a book and he's got serious dyslexia, but he was so determined to learn to read that boy's incredible. He can't spell anything, but he reads voraciously. (laughs) And he spouts off knowledge voraciously. <laughs> he spouts off knowledge. He knows a lot of stuff and he will tell you about it. Yeah. He's, he's very smart. He's super smart. Now, I, I think that I have definitely seen the value in movement while we're learning, though. Like, we do sit still. We have definite times where it's like, no, you're going to sit down and do your work. You need to sit at your computer and write or you need to do your math lesson. But at the same time... I think a lot of the kids who really would struggle in a school setting struggle less in homeschool when they are allowed to move a little bit more, when you're not having to sit at your desk and stay perfectly still. Do you do that, though, in a planned, strategic way? Like you have certain ways that they are allowed to move versus just whatever you want. Well, I have certain ways that they are allowed to move. For example, our spelling basket It's actually a requirement of my kids that they spell out loud while they're doing things like jump roping, throwing a beanbag, jumping on the trampoline, even the older ones. It's not because they all need to move exactly, but I've discovered that when we use the different parts of our brain all at the same time, you know, when we're moving and speaking and, you know, processing all of it happening at once, that's actually really challenging. Yeah. It's harder for me to spell out loud than to write a word. It is for me too. So I actually make them do it like, hey, here's a challenge. You've got to do it out loud. You can't look at it to do it. You have to do it out loud. So that's part of what we do. The same thing with anything we memorize. We have a lot of movement with it. We do a lot of things on our trampoline because the kids like to go out on the trampoline and bounce or, you know, throw balls around outside or things like that. And so if we're memorizing, if we are spelling, if we're doing math facts, anything that's kind of a memory type item, we often move while we do it. What about when your kids are doing reading or math, like not the facts, but their actual lessons? Do Do you have strategies for them if they can't sit still? Well, when it's the sit still times, I ask them to sit still, but kind of like you said, you do shorter doses. We'll do shorter doses and then I give more breaks. Like, for example, we might just have a 20-minute, okay, you're going to sit still. In fact, when they were little, we don't really use this anymore, but we had this little picture of a mouse that I would hang up, and it was our quiet mouse. And while the quiet mouse was up in our schoolroom, that was your sit still and work really quietly. And if you need help from mom, just they'd look at me, and I'd come over, and they'd kind of whisper. It was a really, really quiet time in our Mm -hmm. homeschool. It's like everybody's working. It's our quiet time. That was in short little doses. And then it would be like, you know what? Let's go walk in the woods and talk about Abraham Lincoln. And so we would just do things to break up the day. The ones who struggled and the ones who didn't, we kind of all did it together and didn't ever have hours and hours where we were all sitting at our desks doing work. Yeah. We've, we've never really done that. We break it up. Karen, you also have kids that have struggled with things. I don't know. Is is Jason actually dyslexic or is he just a little um slower? 
he does have some dyslexic tendencies. He doesn't have severe dyslexia, but he does do the letter reversals and it definitely takes him a lot longer to process words. He cannot read in chunks at all. He has to look at each individual letter very carefully and decipher it. And so it's a lot slower. His process is just slower. So do you feel like he has felt like he's not smart because of that? The only times he's felt that way are if he's with other kids who he's comparing himself to. Like kids who are about his age. Yeah. Yeah. With me, he doesn't feel that way, but he does feel super, super determined. Like he's a kid who he really wants to be a better reader. He sets goals to be a better reader. And he does that on his own. He does it on his own. Wow. I read with him every day several times in short little doses. And he's he's now reading chapter books on his own at 11. He's doing a good job of reading. This is the first year that he's really taken off and doesn't hate it. Yeah. He's I, getting into that, the story instead of just feeling the pain of the hardship of reading. Yeah. And that, that's been happening with my youngest this year for writing. He's he's 13. Actually, that is amazing. My youngest is 13. But <laughs> anyway, he's 13. And this is the first year he has really written on his own. Like writing is really, really hard. The physical act of writing is hard. But also the spelling and the getting the ideas from his brain onto the paper, those are all things that are really, really hard for him. And so it's taken a really long time for him to feel confidence, but writer's workshop actually has helped him gain a lot of confidence with that. I feel like often what we need to do is scaffold kids who have any kind of struggle with learning. Instead of thinking that you're going to wave a magic wand or find a magic program or have something just magically change everything for your kids. And all of a sudden their brains are wired differently and they're capable. In my experience, that doesn't happen. I mean, I was a certified reading tutor who worked with dyslexic kids for many years. And the difference between the kids who failed and succeeded was the little bits of time that you put in with them. You relax, let it happen naturally, and scaffold them. You're like right there helping them whenever they struggle, going, oh, nope, it's not that, it's this. Yeah. You know, you just, when they make a mistake, you go, oh, no, let's try it again. You're just there kind of lifting them up a little bit. Same thing in writing. With writing, when kids struggle, I get them talking about it out loud. Because when they physically struggle to write, if you start the idea process happening, that's half the struggle with writing. So take it and break it into chunks. And then really think about you know how scaffolding lifts people up who are doing construction, like they're supported by it. That's what you're doing. You are supporting your kids in little tiny ways, you're right there by them going, you can do this. Oh, try it again. Oh, it's this. And you just provide little tiny bits of help and support along the way. And it changes everything for them. They go, oh, I can do this. Yeah. They just needed a little I, tiny boost. I feel like that's kind of what Writer's Workshop has done for me, the, the program you that we wrote for Layers of Learning, because I wasn't good at the pre-writing stuff. I'm a natural writer and I feel like actually the hardest things for you to teach are the things that come naturally to you because you, you can't understand the steps. I never had to break down those steps. I read a lot of books and I basically copied the styles that I saw written in other books. And that's how I learned to write. I mean, I had teachers who taught things, but honestly I learned to write because I was a reader. Yeah. And, but that's not true for my children. 
they need step-by-step -step things broken down and I didn't know how to do that. But the pre-writing stuff helped. Two days ago in our homeschool, my kids did a web chart mm -hmm. for it's from the reports and um, the reports and essays, and essays unit. unit. And they did this web chart. And it was a very simple one. I told them, I want you to write about something or come up with ideas on something you already know about. Cause I didn't want them to have to go through all the steps of researching and all that stuff. I just wanted them to get right down to the writing. So my 13 year old, he wrote about digging holes because <laughs> he had just, he has been working on a hole in our backyard. It is about four and a half feet deep now. It, it's huge. What is he digging it for? I asked him and he said, just to dig. And I was like, keep going. <laughs> so okay. You need to have him read holes. Has he read holes? The book? No, but we need to read that. You need to so, read that. So he, he read, or he, he decided to write about how to dig a hole because he knows about digging holes. He is now an expert. And it was interesting <laughs> because after he, he, yesterday we did the, or two days ago we did the chart and then yesterday we had them actually write. And he wrote, I think six sentences completely on his own without any help from me. He asked me to help him spell two or three words. And I told him, look, this is a rough draft. I don't care about the spelling. It doesn't really matter. But if you want me to spell something for you, I will. And he had the periods in the right places. He used capital letters. He indented. He did all the little mechanical things he was supposed to be doing. And he also wrote these six complete sentences that made sense. And I learned things about digging holes. I didn't know. <laughs> I didn't know, for example, that after the first two feet, a shovel is no longer very useful because the handle is too long. It gets in your way. But he knew this, and so he put it in his report. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> yeah. It, it is really interesting how if we can break a process down, all of a sudden, kids are able to do it in whole and complete ways. Like we, we sometimes think from our standpoint, why don't they just do it? Because we didn't break it down yeah, enough. Yeah, I do that with math. If, if my son is struggling with a math problem, I'll think to myself, okay, he's not understanding what's going on here. How can I break it down into smaller pieces? Yeah. Often, if you can just like give them a little boost, you're just that little bit of scaffolding. You're just, I'm going to hold them up in just this one little spot. And then it allows everything to click. And they're able to see the big picture of what they're learning about. And they can do it. They just need that little tiny bit of scaffolding. Which I think it's interesting that you haven't really researched dyslexia and everything, given that you have a vast amount of experience <laughs> with it. I mean, you yeah. really do. Like you've yeah. you've watched it unfold in your family in incredible ways. I feel like you're more educated about it than a lot of people just through your experience. Well, I don't know. <laughs> but I think the things that I have researched in my kids, it's not because it's some magic pill that changes their learning struggle. But sometimes moms need scaffolding. So sometimes like... Yeah, that's true. The research, the finding out about things, it's not that it's going to change everything for your kids. It's that you're going, oh, I don't know what to do. At that moment, that's your learning struggle. You're going, right. I'm, I'm lost. I don't know how to help. I don't know what to do. Yeah, if you don't know how to break down the process or if you can't get your brain around, well, what is happening inside this child's brain? Right. Why can't they understand it? Then you can't help them. No. Yeah. So it's, I think, wildly helpful sometimes to read a book about dyslexia or listen to a podcast or talk to another mom who's been there or any of that, because then that is scaffolding you in your process. Right. I think that is important. I think you're right. And everybody's different in what they need, but that's helped me at different times where I've felt frustrated and where I'm going, I don't know how to help this kid. He's not understanding fractions or whatever the case may be. 
sometimes it's not even about the fraction. Sometimes it's about they need a minute to understand, oh, fractions are dividing problems. You yeah. know, something simple like that. But if you can learn to break down what their struggles are in little ways, sometimes that is the way that you can scaffold them. Yeah, I agree. That That's helpful. I One thing I've noticed for my kids too who struggle is that it's really important to notice and point out when they have an achievement whether it's in the area they struggle in or in another area but they need to they need to have that reinforced constantly that they're smart because it's really easy to feel dumb when you struggle in something so it's important to point out like my kids like memorizing things. I have one son who has memorized several passages of Shakespeare and he just rattles them off and he's like, does the hand motions. He gets very into it. He's a little actor, but (laughs) when they can do that, you should, you know, pour on a little extra praise. Like you did this, like it's actual achievement. We're not saying good job, like a pat on the head when they haven't actually achieved something, but when they actually achieve something, they feel great. And so they should be asked to do hard things like memorizing passages or, you know, mastering a particular theorem in algebra. You know, once they know the Pythagorean theorem upside and down, then you should praise that. Celebrate. Yeah. Yeah. I think naturally as people, we tend to notice the things that we're not good at. We're hard on ourselves. We we get discouraged easily. Well, and a lot more attention is paid to the problem areas. Yeah. Wherever they are. You know, if a child's having behavior problems... Where do you focus your attention? On the problems. Yeah. Do you focus your attention on the things they do right? Did you focus your attention on how kind they were to the baby that day? Probably not. Yeah, it's amazing. If if a kid is 90% good and 10% struggle, we focus on the struggle. And you do have to address the struggle. But I think it's important to also make sure that you're noticing all the things that are going right. Yeah. And... I mean, I don't feel like I'm a cheerleader exactly, but I do constantly look for ways to praise my kids because when they're praised, I find that they actually want to get more of that in a, yeah, they want to achieve well, more. They, they, it's not just that they want my praise. It's that they like their accomplishments. They yes. go, this is awesome. They I'm feel, good. they feel like they are actually doing something like it's something about them. It's not just, oh, I love you, dear. I mean, that's important too, but but to actually feel like I have accomplished something. I am better at this than I was yesterday. I am better at this than, than you know, a lot of other people are. We don't necessarily want to compare ourselves to others, but at the same time, we tend to. We do. And so, yeah, it's, it's important to feel real accomplishment about real things. You know, recently I was talking to a friend of mine who is a special ed teacher, and she was telling me, that there are massive restrictions for her in schools. So she's a, a resource person who goes around to different elementary schools and has a roster of kids that she goes to help either one-on-one or in small groups. But she told me she is not allowed to give them high fives, hugs. There's no physical touch allowed at all in her school district. It's completely banned. Okay. And she was saying how difficult that has made it to teach these kids who are struggling because so many of them wouldn't struggle if they just had an arm around them when they were having a hard time. Yeah. If they just had somebody to give them a high five when they finally succeeded. And that is one of the beautiful things about homeschool. You get to hug your kids all you want. You get to have them sit on your lap when they're having 
a tough yeah, time in to math. Work, to work through the math problems. Yep. Yeah. And I think honestly, with my kids, when they have struggled, that does as much as any of the research I've read about dyslexia or any learning disability. It's like if you can just scaffold them with love, it's amazing how that can make them able to do things that are really hard for them. I agree. That's that's important. I think that kids who struggle in a certain area can still have a great education. My children know a lot about history. They know most of the countries of the world. They can find them on a map. They have memorized passages out of Shakespeare. They they're really good at science. They're, they're really good at science. We've done all the stuff. We're learning Latin together as a family. You know, they're, they are classically educated with a liberal, broad education, even though they're dyslexic. Like, it doesn't mean that you have to dumb down your entire curriculum. My kids have done hard things. They know a lot of things that people who have graduated from college don't even know. You know, they have a very detailed, broad, involved education in all these areas. And you've expected a lot from them. You talk about how you let them go at their own pace and all of that. But at the same time, you never said you don't have to do this. Right. You expected everything from them. You just let them do it as they were developmentally ready in small doses with constant affirmation along the way. And that made them able to get an awesome education and feel really good about who they are and what they've learned and about all of their abilities, not just their disabilities, but their abilities. Yeah. I think the way to defeat the voices inside your children's heads that tell them they're not smart is to make sure that they are achieving. They're doing hard things and they are accomplishing the tough stuff in school. Like they need to actually achieve things. Yeah. You can't, you can't dumb it down for them. You can't make it Oh, well, you don't have to learn to write. I guess we're not, we're just not going to do that ever. You know, it's, it's okay if it takes them years longer, but they still should be doing it. Yeah. True confidence really does come from achievement, not just pats on the head. Yeah, I think it does. It's not easy to teach kids with any kind of learning struggle, but honestly, if we looked at any single person, I think we would recognize that we all have a struggle somewhere. So we just have to learn to see people for their whole selves see the struggles yeah but also see all of their strengths point out those strengths like crazy work on the struggles in little bits and you just keep at it and you watch them really blossom into awesome people thanks for joining us today don't forget to subscribe to the podcast and leave us a rating wherever you listen ratings and comments help people find happy family style homeschooling Visit us at layersoflearning.com, at Instagram, and on our Facebook group. And make sure to tune in next month for the next podcast. In the meantime, we wish you happiness in your homeschool. Have fun learning! learning.